this morning. We're glad that you're here with us. I don't mind leading singing as long as I have a, a head start. I can kind of prepare myself. And so uh, today's not too bad. The first time that I did it, I remember I had to, to put everything together very quickly. And so today was a lot different. <laughs> but uh, don't mind doing it. Not, not at all. Our uh, lesson for this morning continues our series on Christian living. This lesson is uh, different than some of the lessons that I've preached. And I've often thought about doing a lesson on modesty. And I kept thinking, well, you know, we really don't need a lesson on modesty so much. You know, looking at our congregation and the people of it, maybe we really don't need it. But as I got to looking at the subject and as I got to preparing the lesson, I realized that we do need a lesson like this. We do need a lesson on modesty. And so... Hopefully this lesson will be one that is helpful to us in some way. Our lesson's title is Modesty and the Christian's Dress. As we look at the importance of dressing as a Christian, we see the importance of setting a good example for those around us. And that's mostly what we think about whenever we we think about modesty. And we might ask the question, why is modesty an important topic to preach about? Our world and culture are heavily influenced by immodesty. Even if we ourselves don't dress immodestly, we're still still influenced by those who do. We see it in television, our, the shows that we watch, uh, movies that we go to see. We see it in, on the internet. Uh, we see it in entertainment. We see it all around us that there is an importance uh, of looking at, at what it means to be modest. And certainly we are to set a good example of that, but we're also to be aware of, of how to handle such situations, how to deal with immodesty that is around us. And especially as we look at our lives, lest we see it as commonplace and become desensitized to certain things as immodesty. Our lesson objectives for this morning are to understand how our lives are affected by immodesty. And number two, to learn the importance of living modestly as Christians. It may mean a little bit more to you than what you realize now. Our first point is modesty. Man's ways versus God's ways. When we look at the world around us and we look at what we have taken on as far as uh, what we traditionally view as immodesty, we have to understand that there is a certain way that may seem right to man, but may not be right to God. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And we'll begin reading at verse 1. And here we're looking at the example of Adam and Eve. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Who may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden? but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said, You shall not eat eat it, 
nor shall you touch it, lest you die. In verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And if we really look at what Satan says here and how he speaks to Eve, he lied when he said that you will not surely die. And maybe he looked at it from another standpoint. You know, from a physical standpoint, they didn't die. But we also understand that in this chapter, whenever they did commit sin, that they spiritually faced death. And they would face death in a physical sense later on, although they didn't immediately die. So he lied when he said, you will not surely die. But as far as verse 5 is concerned, what he said was true. That in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that did come to pass. Although the way he made it sound, he made it sound good. And in all reality, it was not. But in verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And in verse 7, in verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, as we look at this in terms of immodesty, we understand what happened here. Once their eyes were opened to reality, once they could see as God sees, once they could know good and evil, they saw that they were naked and they realized that they needed to be covered. So they made for themselves coverings of fig leaves. They, they sewed them together and made themselves coverings. The way that the King James Version puts this is aprons. They made aprons for themselves or something similar to an apron. This is defined by William Wilson in Wilson's Old Testament Word Studies as that which girds about. It's defined by James Strong in Strong's New Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible as a belt, in parenthesis, for the waist. That was their covering. And as we look at this, something that I had never really noticed before is that in preparing themselves, uh, that, that as, as God prepared them for life outside of the Garden of Eden, we see that God clothed them the way that He desired, and it was different than the way that they had clothed themselves. In verse 21 of Genesis 3, it says this, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God, made tunics of skin and clothed them. The way the King James puts it is coats of skin. He made coats of skin for them. And the way that Wilson defines this, he says a tunic. 
one next to the skin by men and women, chiefly by the priests and Levites, generally with sleeves to the knees, but seldom to the ankle. As we look at how God covered Adam and Eve, He covered them in a way that was different than what they had clothed themselves. They, they had a, a way of thinking, I, I believe here, of, of modesty. And they tried to, to make themselves modest, but God still didn't see them as clothed in the way that they should be. So Adam and Eve were covered by God much more than they had seen fit to cover themselves. The first time they covered themselves without God's guidance. But eventually, God clothed them His way. Reminded of what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 10, in verse 23. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. As I look at Adam and Eve, and as I look at this passage in Jeremiah, I realize that the we as man cannot dictate what God wants. God states what He wants in His Word. It's up to us to follow His Word. But I think we're reminded here that if man is left to himself, he will not please God in the way that God desires. We see an example of the way that God sees modesty in the example of the specifications that are given for the priest and the Levites. God made it very clear how He wanted His servants to be clothed in Exodus chapter 28 verses 40 through 43. For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics and you shall make sashes for them and you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty so you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. Moses here was commanded to make for them linen trousers, trousers or breeches as the King James puts it to cover them from the waist to the thighs. Understand here that it was important to God that they be fully covered. And as we look at the importance of it, we understand from verse 43 that this was a matter of life and death. Looking into the New Testament, we see that Paul instructed Timothy in the proper manner of dress for women. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 8, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. But in verse 9 it says, In like manner also, 
that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good work. And as he says these things, part of this has to do with, with the culture and what they considered modest dress and how God wanted them to be, be adorned. But one of the most important things here is what we see at the latter part of this passage I read in verse 10. That which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. While man sees fit to draw attention to himself in the way that he dresses, God desires that our dress bring glory to Him. That's the most important thing about modesty is that we bring glory and honor to God, that we dress as Christians so that we can set a good example and bring glory and honor to God. Even though we ourselves may not have problems with dressing modestly, it's important to know why. God teach or says the things that He does. Why we're taught these things in the Scriptures. Why these things are given to us. It's important that we dress modestly in such a way as to bring glory and honor to God. As we look at the world around us, we understand that there are problems that we deal with as far as immodesty is concerned. So for our next point, we'll look at problems associated with immodesty. Some of the things that we need to avoid. And some of these things may need to adjust our thinking more so than anything else. Temptation is all around us. Maybe even a majority of, of it stemming from immodesty. There are certain things that affect certain people. Uh, we realize that there are a lot uh, of people, men and women, that get involved in pornography and things of that nature. And so immodesty is something that affects us, and especially as we look at it as prevalent as it is in our world. One of the problems that we associate with immodesty, and I guess the main problem with this, is lust and desire. It's important that we avoid lust. Lust is something that is very difficult to deal with. As a matter of fact, it even affects those who we might consider to be the strongest in serving God. Even the strongest hearts can be led astray by lust. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Let's begin reading in verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and beginning with verse 1. And it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. To behold. 
So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David should have stopped there. He should have stopped when he saw her, but he also should have stopped here. This was another opportunity that he had to, to stop what was happening when he heard that she was the wife of another. But in verse 4 we read that David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house. Seeing her uncovered, he could see that she was beautiful. And he desired to know her inappropriately, knowing that she was the wife of Uriah. As we look at this passage, it's easy for us to place blame. Well, it's got to be David's fault because, I mean, what is he doing on the roof at that time of night in the evening and, and, and to, to see her, you know? What was he even doing there? Well, it's got to be Bathsheba's fault. What was she doing bathing uh, on the roof as well? Yeah, or, or at least in, in view of him. What, what in the world would cause her to, to bathe in, in such a way that, that she could be seen? Well, why didn't David stop whenever he learned that she was the wife of someone else? I think as we read this passage, we realize that it wasn't completely David's fault. It wasn't completely Bathsheba's fault. But both were at fault. Both were to blame. But we see the problem with immodesty here. We know what transpired after this. Uh, as we, we read of, of David and what happened, she conceived a child. And Nathan came to David and he confronted David with the, his wrongdoing. And especially as we, we, we continue reading, we understand that David not only committed the sin of adultery, but he also committed the sin of murder. And when confronted with his wrong, we see that David had a, a penitent heart about it. But the child lost his life. There were consequences to be faced, but all of this began because of lust. And it affected David. The man that we understand to be considered after God's own heart. Even the strongest of people can be affected by lust. We read of the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and beginning with verse 27. You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. The command, as it was originally given in the law of Moses, you shall not commit adultery. But as we look at it, that was pretty easy in comparison to what leads to adultery. Whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you sin within your heart, then you've already committed a sin. Maybe not as great as, as committing the act, but it's still wrong nonetheless. And as a matter of fact, Jesus even goes a step further when talking about this. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and, and cast it from you. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. As Jesus literally saying, cast your members from you. Cut them off. I don't think that's what he meant at all. But as we look at, at what he is saying and how he is saying it, we understand that it's more profitable for us to get rid of anything that's going to cause us to sin, cause us to be condemned, spiritually speaking, than to carry it through life and be led away from God. There are other Bible warnings against lust. Romans 13, 13, Let us walk properly, as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Galatians 5, 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the the soul. The songs that we sang previous to this sermon talked about spiritual warfare. There's a glorious banner. There's a banner that we must carry as Christians. We must set a good example for those around us. To Christ be loyal and be true no matter what we need to remain true to God, true to His Word. These temptations, they war against the soul. Every single day that we are alive, we face temptation in one way or another. And some days are worse than others. Some days we're heavily tempted. Some days seem fairly easy. But we must abstain from these fleshly lusts. And he goes on to say here in 1 Peter chapter 2, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, part of that is in modesty. 
Part of that is in how we dress and how we present ourselves. We present ourselves in a, such a fashion as not to, to bring glory to ourselves, but to bring glory to God. That they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God. We understand as we look at lust that lust is a sin for both parties. Those who willingly participate, those who draw attention to themselves, they draw the attention of weakened hearts. There are those that, that dress immodestly, that, that draw that attention, and, and they are guilty in that way. But also those who willingly watch and desire of what they can see. So immodesty is not just a sin on the part of those who dress immodestly, but we also have to look at, for, at it from the standpoint of a Christian that sees immodesty. If we continue to observe those things, if we continue to pay attention, if we continue to desire and allow lust to take over our hearts, then we can also be guilty in this sin. You see, as we look at immodesty, immodesty, we have to understand that it greatly affects the lives of Christians. It affects the Christian's view of immodesty. See, over time, I think we can look back and realize that the Christian's view of immodesty has changed because of its prevalence in society. I know there have been people that, that were raised in the church that know better and yet they allow their sons and daughters to dress in a way that is immodest without correcting them. Just as we look at the world, some, th some of the things that I personally have noticed, cheerleading uniforms in middle and high school, not as modest as they used to be. Beachwear is another one that, that we see so commonly on, on television and other places. And we can't just blame women when men are also at fault in how they have dressed. Christians are especially guilty of, of dressing immodestly. And we have to ask the question, what example are we setting for the world? Something that we need to be aware of, even as parents or grandparents. And I think we also see today that problems with immodesty have even creeped into our church assemblies. I've not experienced it as much in my life, but I have heard stories. I remember someone telling the story of, of a congregation. And within this congregation, it was a fairly large congregation that had a great number of college students within it. And within this congregation, certain men of the congregation had come forward. Those who were responsible for serving the Lord's Supper and asked to be reassigned to a different section of the congregation because they didn't want to be 
in the college section because of immodesty. It was something that bothered them. It was something that offended them and something that they knew that they, they didn't want to see. I've heard of problems with, with men being tempted in certain ways that, that they do not desire even by coming to church. Those who loathe coming to church because they know how certain people dress. Those are sad stories to hear. But at least as far as I'm aware of, they're, they're very true. And they're not just in one congregation, they're in multiple congregations. These are things that the church is facing today that we didn't face before. And revealing clothing may not be the only problem. You see, sometimes I think we as congregations become very lax in, in how we dress even for services. I mean, not so much in us, but, but in others as well. But we look at, at those who, who don't dress up as much as they used to. And I'm not saying that you have to wear a suit or anything. Obviously, I don't wear a suit to church. I've always had the view, this is just my personal opinion. And I want you to take it as that. But I've always felt that, that when it's hot, I don't want to be wearing a coat. And so I, I just choose not to. But we also need to be aware of how we dress and make sure that we, we try to dress up at least in some way. And I'm not saying that there are certain situations that, that wouldn't allow that. Obviously some come straight from work and, and I'm not saying anything against them either. But when we ha have a habit of dressing down, when we have an opportunity to dress up, it affects the way that we worship. It's been linked in certain studies as people look at the workplace, whenever they have casual dress, there's also casual work that is done. And I think the same way, in the same way it affects the church. Casual dress affects the way that we worship. If we don't prepare ourselves for worship, if we don't prepare our hearts, then we have a casual way of worshiping God, a way that God would not be pleased with, a way that we would see as vain. We'd be careful if of how we, we dress. And, and certainly, like I said, if there are those that aren't able to dress up, I would still rather them be here than not. But how we, how we dress affects the way that people view us. And it affects the way that people view God and Christ and our service to Him. If they see casual dress, then they see casual worship. And that's the example that we've set. We need to be careful that we dress modestly. That we dress in such a way as to glorify God. And not to bring attention to ourselves. You see, modesty is not just a sin that affects those who dress in inappropriate ways. But it's also something that affects us as Christians. And we have to be aware of, of how we view it as well. We have to be aware that we don't allow ourselves to be affected by Satan's deception. Satan deceives us in, in a way to saying, well, maybe it's not that important. Maybe it's not that big a deal if, if we don't dress in a certain way. I think God's Word tells us very clearly that it is.
we can't allow our hearts and minds to be affected by the actions of others. I don't know where you stand this morning in your spiritual walk. I don't know if you're a faithful child of God or not. Maybe it is that you need to come as a Christian or need to come in obedience to become a Christian. Maybe it is that you need to, to rededicate your life to Him, ask for forgiveness for something that you've done, ask for prayers on your behalf. But if you've been affected by the world in such a way that you understand that God would not be pleased with, if there's something that is standing between you and Him, something that you need to make right today, as we always do, we give you the opportunity to come to respond to the Lord's invitation. Let's see how we stand as we sing.